0: into the Keeping It 1000 podcast with myself and the star of, of our show, George Carl. George, Oh man, it's George Frozen again already. It looks like he, It looks like he is. We'll give him a second kill there uh, to, to rejoin us. But I am joined by uh, a Denver Nuggets legend, an absolute Denver Nuggets legend, and somebody I have been wanting to have a conversation with uh, for a very long time, Mr. Alex English. Alex, thank you so much for joining me on the show.
1: Hey, I'm glad to be here.
0: Um, It looks like we have we have George there uh, back with us. So today we're going to talk about the tradition of the Denver Nuggets, the history of the Denver Nuggets. And one of the things that has really brought me a lot of joy and, and excitement, you know, I get to talk with with Coach Carl every week or every other week as we talk about the Denver Nuggets. I know he has a passion for the city of Denver, watching Nikola Jokic and all the different things. But from following you online, Alex, I, I can also sense that same sort of pride and excitement. And in particular, I think about this Denver Nuggets team and with Nikola Jokic. And so I wanted to ask you right off right off the, the start. It, it seems like you have really gotten involved, at least with commenting on the Nuggets lately. What has it been like covering this or following this team over the last few years with Jokic and Michael Malone in the group?
1: Well, it, it's, it's been a few things. It's been very exciting at times. And uh, at times it's been disappointing, especially during playoffs when we we get close and uh, something happens and we don't quite make it. But uh, I'm I'm excited with the talent. You know, I think they've got a, a, a lot of good talent, uh, including uh, my homeboy PJ Dozier. That's right. Just, just watching Jokic, he's just uh, you know he's redefined the center position in uh, professional basketball.
0: Yeah. I want to ask you about Dozier right off the bat because, you know, everybody talked about Jamal Murray being out and, of course, the team's second best player and, and really the co-star along with Nikola Jokic of this team. But I thought P.J. Dozier was a guy that went under the radar, what Denver missed from not having him because he was so dynamic. He could get to the basket. He could run the pick and roll, and he could just guard. Um, what do you think the nuggets were missing in not having Dozier available for this playoff run
1: well they were missing a defender who could guard probably three positions a ball handler who could see the, who sees the floor well passes the ball well and he's a pretty decent scorer when he gets the opportunity but I think what they missed most was the was his defense and uh, I think having him uh, you know he could have he, he could have done a, a pretty solid job when they needed him
0: Coach, what what do you think about Dozier and the impact he could have had? Obviously, um, Damian Lillard was incredible in the first round and then uh, Chris Paul in the second one. What do you think Dozier would have done? How would he have made it different?
2: Well, I don't think you you stop a Damian Lillard or a Chris Paul. You just try to control them to where you can win the game. And... I don't know. I thought Chris Paul got out of control, at least in two of the games and maybe even three of the games. And Damon put on a show a couple of nights in, in, in the first round. So I just think the mentality in the backcourt would have been better. It yeah. would have been. Great. More... I...
1: Just to add to that, George, I, I, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, the fact that P.J. Dozier plays the point guard position, you know, you're talking about putting length on those guys and, and uh, you know, making them have a, you know, changing the trajectory of their shots would have made a, a big difference, I think.
0: Yeah, no question about it. I really like Dozier and all of the things he brings. And he's a an interesting young talent because this was, I think, a big year for him and a big opportunity for him. And that's why it was so heartbreaking that he went down, is I feel like he was another one of those young players that was really – I don't want to say getting over the hump because he was an impact player already. But I think he was really taking off and, and getting it into his own. And hopefully, obviously, he can have a recovery here. Did you um, – I want to ask about Jokic's MVP award though Alex because when when Jokic won that award my hope was that all of the Nuggets legends yourself included and, and David Thompson and Dad Issel and, and Carmelo Anthony maybe you know obviously he was going up against uh, against Jokic in the playoffs but I hope that it was an award that all of the Nuggets greats across the years took a little bit of pride in and felt good about. I always think about with the Lakers, one of the teams with the best tradition when a new Laker great wins a championship or wins an award like that, they all seem to take a pride, a sense of pride in it. It's, you know, did you feel that same sense of pride watching Jokic develop and then seeing him earn the award this year?
1: I I did. I mean, I can't speak for all the other guys, but you know, I've, uh, I've watched him since he got to Denver and, you know, he's progressed so well and he, he seems to have gotten his confidence now to, to, to and he knows that he's one of the greats in the game. So I uh I, you know I, I took a lot of pride in seeing him uh, carry the nuggets to where they where they went and, and just watching him individually. He's a he's a fun player to watch. Yeah.
0: What about you, George? I know I mean well, we've had these conversations a little bit, but did you take a sense of pride when you saw Jokic, it's just
2: as a connection to
0: Denver.
2: I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I mean, as a basketball coach, he plays the game exactly how you want him to play. He's effective. He's efficient. He makes people better. He shows up every night. He has a good focus. You know, I think we all would like him to be a little more aggressive defensively, but, you know, he got better defensively. He was a better defensive player this year than he was last year. And holding comes down, he's a, he's a winner that gives you a window of championship, I don't know, for at least four or five more years.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I don't know if an injury like Murray, how he'll come back from that. But, you know, I think everybody uh, in, the, in, the last, in the last two weeks was saying, what if we had Murray? Right. If we had Murray, would we, would we have been able to beat Phoenix? You know, I really think Phoenix is on a, kind of a good karma ride. Good things are happening. The pieces kind of fit. There's an energy to them, a little bit of a magic to them. They make make the hustle play. play. They make the defensive play. They're a good rebounding team, and they're a good defensive team. They shoot the hell out of the ball, and they got two guys you can go to to score about any time they want to score. I really think if I had to bet on the playoffs right now, I would put, number, put Phoenix number one.
1: And, you know, I, I, I agree with coaches a lot of that. You know, they, uh, they are one of those teams. They, you know, they are teams that have that specialness to them during the playoffs, and, you know, they've got that karma going. Uh, I think uh, Ayton was kind of difficult for Jokic because he was so long and lanky and fluid. He'd get up and down the floor, and he kind of changed his shot a little. Uh it would have been great to see Murray go against Booker, you know, yeah. both Kentucky guys and, you know, both great scores. So it was a, I think it was a match that was made for Phoenix. I thought Monty Williams I think Monty Williams has done a hell of a job. Coach, you know, coaching better more than I do. He's done a hell of a job. In, no, he in, and he's great.
0: Uh, Alex, I want to ask you about that connection, because George and I talk about this a lot on our show and the value of teams. You just said they had a magic to them, Coach. I think watching this Phoenix Suns team, it, it, you, it's very clear. They were healthy all year together. They have Everybody seems to know what their role is and play for each other. Every, they know who the stars are and who the role players, who the defenders are, but they all play together. And I just wonder, as a player, you know, how big of a deal was that? And, and could you really sense when your team had that connection and when they did not have those connections uh, over the course of a season? Well, I think you you sense it.
1: I mean, they, they've got that connection. I can remember when I played, uh, you know, some of the teams I played for, we had that connection. Everybody knew what their roles were. I mean, you remember T.R. Dunn. T.R. didn't gripe about getting a lot of jump shots, but he played great, tough defense. Uh, Wayne Cooper. He knew his job was to block shots and rebound. He didn't gripe about getting a lot of shots. And I think the Phoenix Suns, they've got guys that are role players, and they're just they're just on this ride right now. That's a magical ride. And having Chris Paul kind of guide them and kind of put the pieces in place and and uh, and kind of guide them to where they need to go. I, I think it's uh, one of those years for that team. Kind of like when Golden State had that first year, and they had that magic going. You know, you can feel that for the Phoenix Suns. I like their squad.
0: When you, you know, your teams with the Denver Nuggets had a lot of continuity. Was it a thing though, you know, you played with, some of those guys were there for year after year after year. Was it a thing that even with continuity, yes, there are pieces that you're adding around the edges, but even with the same guys, was that connection something you had to rebuild and relearn every single year?
1: no you 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 keep the same core players in place and they kind of mold everybody into fitting into what the team concept is you know we had a coach Doug moe was just one of those guys that it was just easy to play for him uh he put the he put the structure in place you you uh, you worked into that structure and you know having the veteran players there kind of kept everybody in, in check. Uh, the guys that I played with, T.R. Dunn, Pat Lever, Wayne Cooper, uh, Danny Shays, Blair Rasmussen, those guys knew what their roles were, and they kind of did the same thing with the guys that were coming in behind them, kept them in place.
0: Yeah, Coach, I'll ask the same thing with you. I mean, <laughs> continuity, you've talked a lot about that. The, what is the 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 difficulty in building that even with a team with continuity?
2: I'm a big fan of it. I think it's a, I think I think continuity is underrated by management. Management, you know, when you lose, they, they want to change everything and they I, you know, I think they're going to make some changes here in Denver. And I think they got to make some good decisions here in Denver with their their, their structure of uh, contracts. But I don't think they have to be drastic. I think they got a nucleus of really good players. I would like them to magnify the guys who they like. You know, is Dozier Dozier? Or, you know, is he better than Barton, or is Barton going to be back? Sometimes I think they put too many people fighting for too many minutes uh, for the last couple of years. I'd like to see them be con- have a continuity. Whereas Alex just defined everybody know their roles. Sometimes I'm not I'm not sure they know their roles on this team. A lot of guys play well. I think Coach Malone pushed a lot of buttons that worked and won a lot of games. But, you know, they're short on that playoff experience of maybe having a consistent personality rather than an inconsistent personality sometimes. And with Jokic and Murray, you got two building blocks that you can make that decision and go live with it for, for two or three years. I'm I'm curious. I'll ask
0: both of you this question, but I'll start with you, Alex. Of do you think it is easier or more difficult for guys in today's NBA to have and accept a role than it was maybe during your time? Because I find it interesting that you're talking about Wayne Cooper and you know he was block shots and rebound. It seems like in the positionless era, and we're not fully positionless, but more so today, guys are expected to do maybe be more versatile, excel at. Fewer things, but try to be a jack of all trades. Do you feel like it's more difficult to define roles in today's NBA?
1: Uh just looking at it from the outside. Uh, when I when I look at the players and how they play, and the game has changed so much. You know, you you have to be able to make a three point shot. Uh, uh, you've got to be able to score. So I think most of the guys that come into the league nowadays, they look at the scoring. Uh, more than the other little things that help really bring a team together, like the defense or, uh, you know, blocking out, rebounding, those little those little uh, gritty things that you have to do. It looks like uh, the teams that are successful, they've got one or two guys that do that. Yeah. But most of the teams that, you know, everybody uh, is kind of acclimatized themselves to shooting three-point shots the mid-range game, I think, suffers a lot. You've you got a few guys who excel at it, but you know the game has gone toward uh, come down, shoot a three-point shot, move the ball around the floor, which I have nothing against. If you got guys that can make that shot, everybody is not a three-point shooter, and right. you have some guys taking three-point shot, taking that shot that that probably should be working on their mid-range game.
0: What do you think coach about players knowing their roles? Is it easier or harder to, in today's NBA, given how it's played?
2: I think it's, different. I think it's harder. I think too many players think they're going to be great scorers and they're going to make money because there's a mentality that if you get good numbers, you make more money. I like the mentality. If you win games, everybody gets paid. If you win a lot of games, everybody gets paid more. i always like that mentality more than I gotta get my numbers. And Adam, you and I've talked about this year's team. At times look like there's a little bit of me basketball rather than we basketball on the basketball court. And you know that's okay because young kids are searching for their identity. They're searching for their role. But in the same sense, I would like to see their roles better defined next year. And I think that's what we're kind of talking about. Instead of having a a four or five guard rotation, have a three or four guard rotation where guys know they're going to get minutes. They play badly. They know they're going to get back in the game and become more of a veteran team. You know, for three years, this team has been damn good. But the NBA doesn't look at it as a damn good basketball team for some reason. They kind of look at this team as a damn good team. But. But they have a but always after that, and I would rather see them scared of the Denver Nuggets rather than respect them, but not fear them. right I think that that and maybe it was when Murray
0: went down, you mentioned the team was going to miss his courage. I think Murray might be one of those players that makes the nuggets feared more than respected because he He put that fear in him. He plays with an edge. He plays with a cockiness, a good, healthy cockiness. And maybe that was one of the ingredients that that Denver was missing. I want to go back, Alex, to what you said about the mid-range. There was a really interesting study done about how the shot profile has changed over the years. And there is i think everybody notices more threes are taken but star players still take a lot of mid-range shots kevin durant last night a ton of mid-range just unstoppable in the mid-range chris paul won the series in large part because of that mid-range jumper you are a star player do you feel like your game would have meaningfully changed if you were dropped in into today's <laughs> nba or do you think that you would have still been or wanted to be a mid-range player well, the mid-range
1: game is what I learned, how I learned how to play. But I, I'm sure with the advent of the three-point shot, I would have learned, would probably have to have learned how to do that as well in order to be as successful in the NBA. Uh, you know, But I watch a guy like Kawhi Leonard, who is also a mid-range guy. Right. Yep. But he's got a great three-point shot as well. So it's uh, the guys that are more complete are the guys that have both. And they're not just three-point shooters. They can get to the basket. They can get in that mid-range space and make shots as well. And I, I see it kind of going back to that a little bit. But I think it's the emphasis now is on, you know, the, the metrics, I guess, is on putting three-point shots up and making them. So uh, that seems to be uh,
0: the, the mainstay of most teams. What was your perspective on the three-point shot when you were playing? It was so new.
1: Well, I was, I, I had not practiced it. It was new. It were, we, you know, we had three point specialists back then, Mike Evans and uh, Michael Adams and every now and then Bill Hansley. Uh, so uh, it was, uh, Oh, come on, Alex. <laughs> I was waiting on you, George. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it was something that I, I didn't work at. Uh, I'm sure I would have had to, but, uh, and it's just, the, it's just the way they play the game today. And it's, it's a wonderful thing if you've got people that can make it. And some guys are just extraordinary with shooting that shot. Uh, and it can, it can change, the, the, change the game. But to be a complete player, I think you've got to be able to do both.
2: I, I was just jumping on. What we're talking about is shot selection. I think yes. the teams that win back – the San Antonio Spurs won – championships because they didn't beat themselves they didn't take bad shots they didn't right. turn the ball over they played a defensive-minded game and there, it's just a fundamental nature that yeah the game is changing Alex English's game he's gonna he could probably play because he could still score but I think every player on your team's got to know what shot they can take and what shot they shouldn't take yes and
0: I think when oh, we might have lost might have lost him there for a second.
1: But I, I think George is, is right. It, it's all about shot selection. What you can make and what you can't make. What's a good shot and what's a bad shot. Right. And, you know, when you know that, and, and he's right about the Spurs. The Spurs, you know, when they were good, they were running those championships, they had guys that did everything. You know, they had three-point three shooters. Uh, they had the guys inside, so it was uh, it was something that was a big part of the game. Knowing the great shot selection and and what teams try and do now with the three-point shot. You know, if the good shot's not there, the most important thing is to move the ball. Keep it moving until you get a guy that's wide open. But uh, what goes along with that with the three-point shot is if you don't have it you can go pump fake and get to the basket and you might get an easy yep. two. Yeah. So in that, in that mid-range
0: space, the defense is not as strong. And I that that point to me really defined the Suns Nugget series because it seemed like Denver was content to give Chris Paul the mid-range. The whole series, I kept thinking, Jokic, step up a little bit more. And I know there's compromises made when you do so. But Denver seemed to dare Chris Paul to take mid-range jumpers. And I think he set a a record for mid-range jumpers made in a game. And he
1: he made about, I remember seeing him make about that last game, three or four in
0: a row. Felt like nine or ten in a row. (laughs) Coach, we, you cut out there, but we were we were talking about we we're talking about the mid range, and we're going back to the Phoenix series. It felt like Denver was, for whatever reason, content to give Chris Paul the mid range, and maybe that reason was they didn't feel like they could do anything else. I don't know, but that's that's where it becomes a real weapon. Did you feel like Denver could have mixed things up or, and should have mixed things <laughs> up to take away from Chris Paul's mid range game?
2: Adam, you know the answer to that. It's like <laughs> Kevin Durant last ones. night. Yeah, uh, Kevin Durant last night. Why are you letting Kevin Durant shoot the ball last night? He should have been double teamed the whole second half.
1: That's right. Tried to double team him,
2: and you know, and Chris Paul was putting a clinic on in the game four. Yeah, that was a clinic. That and was how to clinic. go in the window and and how to get the layup or the dunk or the open three. Okay, I'll shoot the jumper this time. Yeah, and it was like. Yeah, you got to do something. Knock them down. Switch. Try somebody new. Uh, but don't don't live with that because I think we all knew that Chris Paul had control of that game.
1: That's right. And if we didn't
2: change it, if we didn't change
1: it, we were going to lose. I was yeah. saying that the whole time. It, every game was Chris Paul's game. He controlled it. And, you know, if the game went with his pace. And... Uh, they needed to kind of change his pace.
0: Yeah, I thought Denver looked incredibly tired in that series. And I same thing. I'm watching it. It felt every game felt like Groundhog Day. It was going the exact same way. And you get in the second half, and Chris Paul takes over, and then next thing you know, it's gone. But uh, I wondered if Denver just looked exhausted. I mean, Alex, you played a lot of years and played a lot of games. Um, when you look at what the Nuggets have gone through with the bubble and quarantine and the short offseason and coming back, how do you, does that factor in when you're watching these teams, does that factor in and you think, wow, that's a, that's a lot of basketball and a lot and not a lot of time.
1: Well, when you think about the bubble and the, and the teams that were in it, you know, the quick turnaround for the season, uh, you look at the teams that survived to make the playoffs this year, the teams that didn't, you know, Miami, Miami was strong. You know they they did not play well in the playoffs. The Nuggets they were strong the whole time, and you know the second round. I mean, you know, of course they didn't have Jamal Murray, but you know they they looked looked tired. So uh, I, I think the bubble had a lot to do with it. The Lakers the same way. You know, it, it, it probably played hard on the on the bodies as well because they have to turn around and and and, and uh, play another season and go through another season, go through a strenuous playoff. It's tough, and mentally it's tough. You've got to. You say, "Hey, well, okay, I'm gonna do this again. I'm ready."
0: DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook but also America's top rated sports book. I love it because it's easy to navigate. It's got plenty of instructions for new bettors and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. Right now you think sports are over, right? Hockey, basketball's all winding down. No, we've got everything, table tennis, whatever it is, there's things you can bet on and it's a way to make the games even more exciting. Maybe you don't really care who wins the Bucks-Nets game. But you put a little action on it, now all of a sudden you're invested. You're caring now when PJ Tucker goes over in the playoffs and doesn't score. Um, so check it out. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Don't forget, there's baseball still going on uh, and a bunch of other things. It's safe, secure, reliable, and you get deposit withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated sportsbook app right now and use promo code DNVR when you do. That's promo code DNVR. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Wagers paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Alex, social media seems to be such a big part of how the NBA is covered and how it connects with fans for better and and I think even more for worse. How do you think social media would have affected you as a player and and how do you think it is affecting players now that there is constant feedback from everybody that players can see and hear?
1: I'm sure mentally it has to have some effect because especially if you're a follower and you're watching and you're listening and looking – you know, you get all kinds of criticism. You get a lot of praise, but you get a lot of criticism as a player. And sometimes it, you know, it can affect you. You, get, you can get angry from saying, oh, what, what, what is he talking about? Uh, right. I personally would not have uh, watched social media. I would not have been a part of it if I could help it because I think it's, uh, you know, it's, I, I would have been a part in a different kind of way but not reading it because, you know, you get fans talking about you and saying bad things about you. You get all pissed off and wanting to fight. But you you also do a lot of good, positive things, which we saw during the the bubble. And I I thought that it was very important during that period for the players to stay connected with each other.
0: What were the uh, (laughs) – Sorry there, Cale. What were the uh, fans like in Denver during your era, and what was sort of your connection to the city playing at, you know, McNichols? Just what was the fan base like at that time?
1: We had great fans. Denver's always had great fans. Uh, I, I uh, you know, I still have a connection with some of the fans there. Oh, wow. uh, so, you know, I know the, the, the. I don't know if you know the Oishi's, but they are some of the biggest. They've been fans, season ticket holders, since I was there before. So uh, I still have a connection with them and some of the others. Uh, so I, I thought the fans were great. They've always been great. And, uh, you know, they're a big part of Denver's success.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like I'm watching this series and it always, you know, I'm a big Denver guy and I'm a big Denver Nuggets guy. I love the history of the Nuggets. I love all of it. And I really, I really wish it was more cohesive. And I find it interesting that you came in and played with Dan Issel and David Thompson early on. So there was a sort of handoff from one era to the other between those guys in the ABA era and you in the 80s. There was a break in the 90s. You know, there are some good teams sprinkled in there, but there was a break. And I often talked with Nuggets fans and they talk about, you know, the, oh, I was a fan with the Alex English days. And I say, oh, yeah. well, what about Carmelo? Uh, you know, I wasn't really following him then. And I'll talk to Carmelo era fans. They say, oh, I was a big fan in the 2000s, but I don't really know anymore before. And that always bothered me because I feel like that is in part a failure of the organization to, to create a through thread from start to finish where it all feels like one story instead of four or five different stories. But I do feel like it's changing a little bit. And it started, I think, a few years back with the Legends Night when – you came back, and Fat Lever came back, and Iverson came back, and a lot of guys came back. Do you feel at all those same things that I'm saying, that it feels fragmented? And also, do you feel like it is changing in any way?
1: Well, I think it has been fragmented. And uh, I don't know if it's what happens, but maybe ownership. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of players that, uh, that were connected with the Nuggets that they just lost track of. And it was all about the present. It wasn't about the history. It wasn't about you know, the right. people that have been have been a part of uh, building, you know, the Nuggets legend. And, you know, being that fragmented, you know, you have guys that go off and say, you know, they're not they're – not, they don't feel that connected. But I think – you know, lately they have been doing a very good job of trying to bring us all back together. And thanks to Lisa Johnson, yeah, who is the person that's been there all this time. The longest uh, of anybody. Of anybody. And she really works at trying to get the Nuggets to, you know, keep that thread with all of the other guys and bringing guys in that were part of the, uh, you know, the different uh, eras. You know, the Doug Moore era, the George Carl era, the you know, the Daniels era and, you know, just keeping that connection. I think that's very important for teams, for players to kind of see that, you know, there was a history before you and there'll be a history after you. You look at the Boston Celtics, one of the most storied yeah. franchises in, in in NBA basketball. And, you know, you, you look at, you know, you go back to Russell and Ablicek and, and, uh, and then you go back to Bird and Parrish and and you got uh, Kevin Durant. I'm uh, not Kevin Durant, but Kevin Durant. Yeah. You know, that it's all it's all connected. You know, it's all connected and, and good franchises uh are are they, they do that with the squads and you know, the LA Lakers. You know, yeah. you they've had so many great players that come through there, but they're all they're all you, you still see all of them being a part of the organizations and uh and, and the team does a great job of keeping that
0: connection there. It's a, a real brotherhood, a true brotherhood, it, it seems. Mm-hmm. And let me ask, have you had conversations on that note? Have you Do you have a relationship with Nikola Jokic, and have you had conversations with him at all? What is that relationship like at this moment? Well, I've, I've not had a real big conversation
1: with him, but, you know, just cordial conversation. And, you know, he's a good kid. I like him. You know, I've liked him since the time I met him, uh, and he respects the game. You know, when you get a player that respects the game, they are the ones that excel at at being good basketball players because they know the hard work that goes into being better than just good basketball.
0: Coach, what does an organization do to build tradition and build that continuity so that every generation that comes through the organization feels a part of it? What do good teams do when they succeed at that?
2: I think they gotta do things maybe once or twice during a year. Have some type of celebration. You know, when Alex, your team went to the conference finals with Doug. Yeah. That was a fun team. Bring them all back and have a celebration. And then maybe do something in the summertime, a golf tournament or a, I don't know, a concert or something to bring and unify the tradition of the group. You know, Denver hasn't won a championship, but they've had great tradition in a lot of ways. And you got to celebrate that. And, you know, maybe one time bring back a lot of assistant coaches or head coaches or general managers. You know, yeah. just to go over and allow the history of the game to people get to know the history of the game. Because some of the young kids who love Jokic don't know Alex English. And then there's mm-hmm. some guys that don't know Alex really well and love him. And they're kind of lukewarm on Jokic. You bring them together, they love everybody.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing I think about is, Even at Ball Arena, the experience, you know, I go into some of these arenas, they have, it's basically a museum. When you go inside the arena, there's a museum that greets you. And I think those types of things too, just walking through and feeling the history of an organization just brings it it that much closer. So that's another one I I, I think about um, when I think about those things. But it's interesting you talk about um, Denver's fans and how great they are, because as I mentioned, seeing the arena with so many Suns fans in there for game four. And I get it. You're down zero games to three. Some people maybe are selling tickets or doing this. But I see that, and I just wondered if that was ever heard of in the 80s to see if it was – was there ever a point when you walked into McNichols and thought, wow, we're on a road game tonight? No way, no how. <laughs>
1: but you know what? I must say, I must say, when the Lakers came to town, there were a lot of Laker fans there. But yeah. it was a rare, one of those rare occasions – uh, when you got you got to see a team. And, and that's probably because a lot of transplants were living yeah. in Denver
0: at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think, Coach? I mean, was this a thing w- with the 2000s? You know, I attended a lot of those playoffs games. I remember some Spurs fans sprinkled in, some Lakers fans. But do you feel like it's growing the wrong direction?
2: Yeah, I think it is. And I don't think Denver is the only city that's having that problem. I think some other cities is, too. But, um, you know, I think in a way, I think our fans, when the Laker fans, when we played the Lakers, there would be a lot of Laker fans. But I thought it fired up our fans to the point they wanted to, you know, sound them out
1: and keep them out
2: and keep the noise at a high level. Yeah. You know, I think what we found in the bubble in these last couple of years is the fans, the fans in a lot of ways, the oxygen of the game. We need the fans. We need them in the building. It makes us feel better. It makes us even when you play in uh, the in Portland, where the fans are great. It, make, it makes you. That's that's part of the game. Playing on the road in a difficult place, That takes courage. It takes guts. It takes a spirit to the game, and winning on the road, in a lot of ways, is more fun than winning at home. Yeah, uh, and. And and so I thought for a year and a half, whatever we've gone through with the fans, the most important thing is we get them back and then the Denver fans can be, we can motivate them to kick the Laker fans in the butt. Yeah. And,
1: you know, just, just having your fans, home court advantage, you know, just having your fans there, they're like, the, they are really the sixth man. They're the ones that, give you that pump they pump you up and lift you up and make you want to play hard and make you want to win so when you don't have the fans involved it's uh you know watching the bubble it was okay but you know watching all those folk on the on the on the microsoft screen was just not like a basketball game
0: yeah. <laughs> Alex, I, I really appreciate your time. I got one or two more for you. I know we're, we're just about out of time here, but th- this has been, I don't know if you see all the comments coming through. We literally have hundreds of comments from Nuggets fans in here. Just absolutely loving this, you know, two different generations together now talking about a, a third generation. I just think it's fantastic, but if could you shed light, if I to- asked you a player from your era, a Nuggets player that you think maybe that over time, Fans have kind of forgotten what made them special. You know, everybody talks about yourself and Fat Lever and, and uh, you know, Dan Issel and David Thompson. But is there a player that you think maybe doesn't get their due or, or players that don't get their due over the course of history from your era? Well The one person I think about the most is
1: T.R. Dunn because, you know, the glory is on the offense, yep. but the hard work is on the defense. And I can remember back during that era when I played, and and, and George probably remembers because he played during that time too. Uh, the players at at the two and the three were the most dynamic players. You're gonna, you know, probably some of the the top fifty, the most top fifty players. You see, Dominique Wilkins, Clyde Drexler, Michael Jordan, and a whole lot that I can't remember right now. But every night, night in and night in, he came night in night out. He came in and he did the job. You know, he was a great defender. And uh, just having him on the squad was, you know, one of those. He and Elston Turner, having them on our squad just made it so much easier for a person like myself who was not a great defender. You know, I mean, sometimes uh, if I was getting torched and I – one of those guys would say, hey, let me take him. And I (laughs) – I
2: like that, you know. The, uh, there are no great teams. There are no great teams with not a great role player.
1: That's right. That's right. I mean,
2: the, the most underwritten about guy is the the who's the kid from Phoenix? Jay Crowder. Had yeah. yeah. Time impact in the Phoenix series. PJ, well, you see what Kevin he's doing now? Him. Yeah, PJ Tucker having a yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna tell you, Kevin Durant. Doesn't
1: like what's going on
2: out there. He got fifty last night. That's right. And he had to work his tail
1: off. That's
0: yeah. right. He's
2: not gonna get fifty in Milwaukee.
0: Yeah. yeah. Let me ask one one more here about Doug Moe, because I know you both, you know, coach, you you coached alongside him and obviously Alex English, you played for him. You know, how would he fare in today's NBA? The NBA has evolved so much and in coaching in particular. Doug Moe is such a um legendary personality you know that's how i know i don't know him as a coach but i know him as a personality how do you think alex he would have fared in today's and, and what sort of made him special as a coach
1: well you know i love doug Moore. you know i thought that uh, as a personality he was a great personality and a great fit for our team because uh he would curse you out he would mf you and, and all that in the game but when the game was over he was up in the front playing spades with the rest of the guys <laughs> hanging out. You know, but he 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 was able to command that respect as a coach, uh because the, the guys knew he was serious. You know, uh-huh. and, and and I, I love playing for him and I always tell people that with the Denver Nuggets, we the Denver Nuggets of my era, we won a lot of basketball games and we scored a lot of points. And it wasn't that we had a lot of great offensive players. Uh, I mean, I was a good offensive player. But, you know, you look at the rosters that we had, we had a bunch of guys that could just score. It was Doug Moe's Doug offense, Doug Moe's fast-break offense, and the offense that we ran that put the points on the, on the board. And I look at today's game, and I, and I coached and assistant coach for 10 years, and I have not yet – seen anybody replicate Doug Moe's offense, not wow. to this day. And we scored, we averaged 120 points for maybe four or five years, six wow. years, and have the record for the most points scored in a game against the Detroit Pistons. And uh, to this day, I still, and it wasn't like we, we were shooting a lot of threes. Right, you know,
0: yeah. You know, nope.
1: The three-point shot is just yeah. Yeah. We were just we we had an offense that was so hard, so difficult to guard, and Dove just pounded us. When we went to training camp, he said, "Okay, this is what we're doing," and we ran a lot of offense when we first got there. And then we started getting on the defense. But you learned how to play his style, and uh, I, I I personally feel that it was a, you know, it was what made me made Alex English a, a good basketball player, being able to to flow. To flow like Mo, is <laughs> what I
0: <call> thought. <laughs> Coach, what did you learn from from Coach Mo, and and why was it that you thought to bring him on your staff?
2: Well, I think uh, the word that comes to my mind is flow. Yeah, my my yeah. whole you know my my last couple of years in Denver, it was all about rhythm and flow and spacing. We didn't yes. run a lot of we didn't run a lot of plays where the court, the court was crowded. But we ran a lot of plays to get the ball to the right people with good spacing, and let that make it. they made the play. And I think that's similar to what Alex and and Doug yeah. today's yeah. game. The fans and the media want to make the game real complicated. They want to bring analytics into the game. Yeah, but the game is being played well, and everybody is happy. It's a simple game. That's right. It's a simple game. That's right. And So could Doug coach today with all the analytics and all the information that – Doug's not going to use that. But the one thing that people don't remember about Doug Moe and Larry Brown, they are competitive son-of-a-bitches. Yes. They do not like to lose. And the only reason they do what they do is to win and play the game the the right way and to respect the game. And that's all they thought. They didn't have a lot of a lot of whistles and, and ribbons and, and and cute. That was not done. Stop. Play the game the right way. Play together. Move the ball. Find the open man and get the ball to the good player when you need to.
0: Yeah. Well, this was. I, if it sounds like I, the funny thing is, it sounds like Jokic is a passing game player. I, I imagine he would have excelled in the passing game. Right there. Oh, he, would have, he would have
1: had a ball plan for Doug Moe. <laughs> he's having a ball plan for Mike Malone, but he's yeah. he would have loved Doug Moe as well.
2: Yeah, hey, so. he's his Mike Malone's Alec English. I mean <laughs> Jokic, I mean Jokic, his offensive efficiency is unbelievable. As was yes, it is.
1: Yes, yeah. it is. He's I mean, I watch Jokic play, man. You watch him at the end of his shot when he goes to the basket and the last moves that he makes. Last move that he makes is so simple and unorthodox that people can't—they can't do anything with it. You know, whether it's a floater uh, or whether it's uh, a step and and reverse. You know, he's he he's got the tempo that throws people off.
0: Yeah. I, is there any player that he reminds you of, Alex, from from your era? Is there anybody comparable? He's one of a kind. He is one of a kind. (laughs) He definitely
2: is. Uh, I absolutely love how you can't speed him up. That's right. You can't make him play fast. He's going to do it his way. You can't speed him up. Double teams, you're going to to give up a layup or a wide open three. That's Uh, right. And one-on-one, I mean, his one-on-one stuff isn't that fancy. It's pretty simple stuff. And then his offensive rebounding with his length and his ability to find the open man. I mean, I tell fans all the time, you are witnessing a special player. Yes. I mean, he is a special player, and, and Denver's blessed for the next five or six years to see where and what he can do to get to a championship.
1: You know, when they were debating whether it would be him or Embiid, and of course Embiid was out a lot, uh, and Jokic was there the whole time but you have got to you you break down the individual part of each one of them's game and to me there's no comparison and b scores points but so does jokic what jokic does he he makes passes that point guards don't even see right you know
2: yeah he he's I special mean, go ahead i mean to me jokic i mean there's a, the list of a list, list of players in the NBA that make other players better. That list in my mind probably isn't more than 10. Yeah. And Jokic is in the top five of that list.
0: Well, guys, it's such a, a treat to hear you guys talk about, to talk about Jokic, to talk about, you know, the, the entire tradition of the of the Denver Nuggets. And we, you know, we only had 45 minutes here to kind of get through it, but it was a great 45 minutes, and I hope that down the line we can continue to do this. One of my personal mission statements is to to unite the different eras of Denver Nuggets basketball as best as I can with the resources available to me and this was to me and I think to the people watching a real treat to hear you guys talk about the current team and the teams of, uh, of Nuggets past so thank you so much Alex for taking the time to, to do this with us
1: well thank you and hey coach it's great to see you I haven't seen you or heard from you in a while and it's anytime you just give me a call
2: Alex you're special man. and you know i, I... I just love the old ABA, and what's funny is the game today is being played like the old ABA game.
1: That's right. That's right. And it's kind of going back. back. That's, That's right.
2: About how the ABA might be the new NBA. The new NBA is the old ABA.
0: That's right. That's right. I like that. I like that. Uh, everybody else, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to hit the like button on the way out, and we'll see you all next time.
2: Take care. Alex, good seeing you man. Thank you very much. All right, folks. Take care yourself.